Amen. Thank you, Drew and Aaron and team. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. Hey, if you will, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. That's the Gospel of John chapter 17. That's where we're going to be in just a couple of moments. We have the opportunity today to take uh, time as we do each week uh, to enter a time of family prayer. And look, it's been fun. I like couldn't even get in the room fast enough uh, today because, man, it just it's really fun to be after the holidays. It seems like so many people are back and everybody's kind of here. It's more of a full room and uh, people are taking part. But also uh, new folks, getting to meet tons of new folks this morning. So welcome uh, to Double Oak Community Church here at Chelsea. We're excited that you're with us. This moment in the service is an opportunity for us to, to pray together. We're a family here. We've been called into God's family, and us as a local body, we're a specific little portion of his family. And so one thing that we do each and every week is take the opportunity to pray together as a family. We'll have a specific need, or there'll be a missional opportunity, or something that we're praying for God to do in the life of our church. And this morning, we're actually going to be reading John chapter 17 in its entirety for our time of family prayer. And here's the reason for that. Beginning uh, in John chapter 17, you encounter a passage. If you have your Bible open, you'll probably see it in the heading. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. In John's gospel, these, this is the last prayer of Jesus that's recorded as he goes to Calvary, as he goes to the cross. And so in so many ways, these are truly famous last words. But even more so than that, it's a prayer, and it's a prayer for me and you. So this morning, I want to take the opportunity to read John chapter 17 for you and with you, and you'll see it on the screen as well, but I want you to see that what's happening in this moment is this is really Jesus himself praying over all of us. And specifically, this might sound so strange, you might say, well, this is a a document that's recorded uh, of a historical event that takes place with Jesus thousands of years ago. How in the world is he praying for me? You wait till we get to verses 20 through 23 specifically, and you're going to see that in this moment, Jesus is praying for all who would come to know him. And this morning, our opportunity in our time of family prayer is to receive and experience what God will do as Jesus' prayer for not just all that will come to know him, but for you who are in Christ. His prayer for you and that it will be answered. This is John's Gospel, chapter 17 begins in this way. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, May be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. It is also the prayer for us this morning. If you will, bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, your son Jesus prayed that we would be one, just as you and he are one. Father, in so many ways it seems unfathomable that we could be connected to each other, a family with each other in you, with the same unity that you have with your son, Jesus, the community of the Holy Spirit. Father, may it be so. May you do this within us. May you continually shape our church, not as people who come to a spiritual event or people who are trying to improve their lives. Father, so much more, so much more you dream and you desire for us that we would be One, just as you and your son Jesus are one. Father, we ask you to make it so in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue in a series uh, entitled Pursuit. This is really kind of the vision for, for who we are as a church and where we're walking in this season. The goal is that we would know our purpose, live intentionally, and do so in community. Um, if you'll remember last week, we talked about this story, this vivid picture of what pursuit, or at least what it seems 
pursuit can look like. We talked about this guy named Forrest Gump. You guys remember that from last week? There's this scene, if you, if you weren't here last week, there's this scene in Forrest Gump in which he, he kind of runs out the front door and he's got the short sleeve shirt on and the khaki pants and the bubblegum shrimp company hat, right? And the sneakers, and he just tears off running and he goes down his driveway, then he goes into the, to the end of the road, then he goes to the end of town, and then he says he's going to go all the way to the end of the county that he's in, Greenbow County, and all the way through Alabama until he ends up really on the West Coast. And then he does the same thing, and he turns around, and he runs back to the East Coast. And he gets to, he gets to it looks like you know, Maine or, or somewhere in uh, Massachusetts or something like that. He gets to that kind of foggy harbor, and he says, well, I guess I'll just turn around and just keep going again. right? And in this journey, it looks like he's doing something really powerful. Something amazing is taking place, so much so that there are all these people that begin to follow him in droves. There's this group of people that sees what he's doing, and he's making national news. He's on the television, and people are, are, are coming up desiring to follow him because they, they seem to think that what he was doing was important. And this is what Forrest says. He says that people thought I was doing something and it just made sense to them. There's this one guy who came up to him and said, you seem like you're the guy that's got it all figured out. When I saw you, and he talks about seeing him on TV, and as people are following this phenomenal story of this guy who just took off running, this guy says, I was enamored. You know what you're doing. I looked at you and said, this is a guy who understands the point of life. He tells him, he just says the craziest thing. He says, man, I'll follow you anywhere you go. It looked like what Forrest was doing was really incredible. I can remember watching that film for the first time, even as, as a young person, and saying, uh, you could feel like it was building to something. Some big moment was coming, and you were going to kind of get this revelation about what he's doing. And then in the most Forrest Gump way ever, he just stops. Three years. Two months, he's like 14 days, 16 hours, he'd been running, and he just stops. You remember what he said? I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. That's it. It's over. All of those people that, for whatever reason, like quit going to work to run behind this guy. Like, put their life on hold, drastically changed everything because they saw what appeared to be someone in pursuit of something turned out to just be someone running. You and I are attracted to pursuit. Why? Because we were built, we were made to be people in pursuit. To be people in pursuit. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in pursuit of something. Does it mean to just run after something continually? It's got to be more than that. Here's what I would define pursuit as, and I think would be a helpful working definition for us as we talk about what it means to pursue God and to pursue one another as we move forward, not just in our own individual lives, but also in the life of our church and our church family. Three very specific things that characterize what pursuit is. I would say that this is, this is a working definition for that. Tom, I think there's a, there's a slide after this that kind of describes that. Knowing our purpose, living intentionally, and doing so in community. Now, 
When you look at Forrest Gump, this guy was running, but it was very obvious, and he even stated so. He said, why, why did he start, start running? He said he just felt like running. This guy's run across the country a few times without stopping, apparently, except to, you know, eat or sleep or, you know. But he didn't have a purpose. He just did it. If we're going to be people of real pursuit, people who aren't just running on a hamster wheel of life, really seeking to experience what life is all about, and we're going to talk about that today, we've got to understand and know our purpose. And know our purpose. I don't know if you caught it as you read along and you experienced the prayer of Jesus in John 17, but in so many ways, and I think three very specific ones, Jesus really details our purpose. Our purpose. And you think about that question, you've probably been asked that question, or you've thought about that question intuitively at, across many points, and maybe for even the majority of your life. Man, what, what is my purpose? What am I meant for? What is this life about? What are the things that are really important? What is the thing, the one thing that life is meant to be about? Today we're going to talk about what it means to know our purpose in a couple of ways. One, collectively, as the people of God. There's a very overarching sense in what Jesus helps us understand that we all have one unique, distinct purpose together. And then we're going to drill down and talk about what does that look like in my life? Jesus details in this passage three very specific things that help us understand our purpose. Number one is that we are to know God. That this is the purpose of our life. Look at John chapter 17 and verse 3 very specifically. John 17 verse 3, Jesus as he begins his prayer says this. And this is eternal life. That they know you, speaking of God the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. You know, one of the things that, that I, I love about this passage and I think is so profound about what's happening here is John records this gospel and he details Jesus' prayer. He's wanting us to understand something really important. And it's this. That we don't discover or find our purpose apart from Jesus in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what we look at and we'll see in a minute as we look into John 17, 3 and kind of discuss and think through what it means to know God, what eternal life is, here's what we'll come to understand. Truly, you and I, Discover our purpose as Jesus is accomplishing his. I want you to think about that. It's in the midst of Jesus accomplishing the purpose of his earthly ministry. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be beaten and mocked. He's going to suffer and die in order that he could accomplish his purpose, which is what? To seek and save the lost. To be a ransom for many. To reconcile you and me to God. 
It's in the midst of his accomplishing his purpose in his earthly ministry that you and I discover ours. And this is the purpose that we would know God. Well, what does that mean to know God? That word know means firsthand experience. It means firsthand experience, like to, to be there, to be connected to someone, to actually have this relational experience where you're connected to someone, where you truly know someone. Now, this is a big week this past week in the, in the life of sports, pro sports as well, but also specifically college sports, right? There's this pretty big monumental thing that happened this week, Right? It wasn't, you know, Auburn getting a tight end transfer. Nick Saban retired from college sports, from coaching football, from the University of Alabama. And if you were like me, this may have been the only thing you heard about for several days. From every person you know. And I mean this very truly, man, woman, and child. And it's probably the case for most people living where we live, right? This outpour, this crazy outpour of love. People leaving flowers and notes and perishable cakes <laughs> at a statue, right? It just took over the world by storm. The level of appreciation and the level of emotional impact it had on people. I mean, grown men in tears. They didn't cry like this at their wedding or at their parents' funeral. <laughs> Weeping about this. And it kind of caused me to think this is wild because it's almost as if they know him. Because that's what they're acting like. That they know him. But the reality is there are so many people this is affected in a deep way. But they never really knew Nick Saban. They knew about him. They knew everything about him. They knew enough to know that he likes two oatmeal cakes and a cup of coffee. Right? They, they know every statistic, everything that he's been a part of. Each championship team, the dynasty, everything about what he's done and what he's contributed to the University of Alabama and to college football in general. There are people that could rattle off every single thing that he's ever done, every accomplishment. But the reality is they don't know him at all. They know of him. They know about him. But they don't know him. This word know, when Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. This know is not knowing about Jesus and what he's done. Having a historical understanding of Jesus Christ, of a genealogy, of a lineage, of every prophetic thing that was uttered about him that he would do and that he did fulfill. No, 
When Jesus uses this word know and he says this is what not life is about or life is like or the point of it all. When he says this is life, he says it's to know the Father and to know him. The Apostle John describes it in this way. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we get a picture of what his life was like as he knew Jesus. So this is what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, he's speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. A couple of things are happening here. John is saying in a new way, he's saying, look, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, who has always been, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Look at how he'll continue to use life in this passage. The word of life. The life was manifest and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Here's the thing. He's not talking about life as if it is an entity or a thing. He's talking about it as a person. He's talking about life as Jesus because Jesus and life are synonymous. He's life. He's not the first priority in your life. He's not a thing on a list. He is life. And this is what he says about Jesus. Look at the way John knew him. He says, which we have heard. So he heard of Jesus, which we have Seen with our eyes, so he saw him and witnessed him, which we have looked upon. And that's that idea of something being up really close, right? Like you look upon something, your gaze is fixed toward it, your attention is upon it. And then this, we have touched with our hands. He knew him. He knew him. So close to him that he embraced him. You know, you and I, so often, how do you say this, like, politely? Like, we're just dumb, you know? We fall into this trap where we think the things that we're busy about and the things that we're doing we think we're making a life, we think we're building a life. No, He's life. Jesus himself is life. And if you want to know the meaning of life, it's him. That you and I would know him. That we would have a real, genuine, dynamic relationship with him. Which he offers us and has given us. God showed his love for us in this. It's just as John said earlier, that, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He knows you, formed you, made you, and life is to know him.
not simply about him, but to have a real relationship with him. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. Our purpose is that we would know God. Look into John 17 even further and down in verse 17, and you'll see another element of our purpose. Because there's something, hap- something that happens when we know God. Something happens, we're actually transformed. When you and I know and experience Jesus, we are changed. I want you to think about relationships that you're in in your life. It would be totally unnatural to be in any relationship of any duration, of any significance, and not be changed. If you're married in this room, you entered this covenant relationship, and you have been changed, at least the men, right? You've been changed. You've been transformed. Something happened. I want you to look at verse 17 John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus says these powerful words. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. That word sanctify means to set apart. It means to make holy. It means to take something that is disgusting and broken Something that doesn't fulfill its purpose and be made new. Be set apart in such a way that it is pure, that it is chaste. And so often, you and I, we're environmental people. And we're people who really just try to change ourselves so much. Anybody made a resolution this year? Anybody kept it? A few of us, maybe. Talk to me in March, right? Because we try to do so many things out of our own willpower, we fail to recognize it's not the location in which I find myself, it's not the disposition in which I'm in, or the tradition, all of these things that I might try to change about myself. No, the Christian life, Drew shared this earlier, is the life in which We're made new. We're changed from the inside out. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. When you and I experience and know God, the very word of God, Jesus Christ himself, the commands that he's given us, the instructions, the teaching that he's given us, we're changed. We're changed. We're being changed transformed. We're turning into something that we were not before. Something, And this is the goal. This is the purpose. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when you come to know Jesus Christ and you trust in Him, you repent of your sins and you believe the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as ultimate salvation for you, 
This thing happens where the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about this a ton specifically in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you. The very Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus, lives with inside you. As a part of that, the Spirit's work will change you and transform you in this way. Little by little. From one degree of glory to another. Notice that it's not... We who transform ourselves, how does it happen? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Man, I want to be transformed. I want to be sanctified. I want to be holy. This doesn't happen by just learning some habits and reading some books. Getting some like tips and tricks on becoming a better Christian. No, this is the work of the Spirit of God inside us as we do what? Know God. We're transformed. Third, and finally, we see this beautiful purpose, specifically in verses 21 through 23. John 17, 21 through 23. We're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. Jesus prays and he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, this is the purpose statement, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The goal of our unity, the goal of us being a body, what Jesus has prayed for us, that you and I would be one. Not like, kind of like, yeah, I can sit next to that person, or I don't mind if they spill their coffee on me in the lobby this morning, Right? But like to be actually connected as a body of faith is the purpose. So that the world may believe that God the Father sent Christ the Son to live in our place, to take on our sin and die, atone for it, be raised on the third day, and give us life in Him. Look down into verse 22 and you see this. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So there's that unity again that we're supposed to experience. is the family of God and then this. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one. Again, he reiterates and says this. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is wild. That God... So loved the world. And when we think of the world, you and I think of it as like this, this, this globe, right? This ball. This place which houses us all. It's very you know, geography related. But when John's, in John 3.16, when he says, For God so loved the world, that word for world means something radically different than just us spinning around a ball in the Milky Way. It means... The people of rebellion, the people who have turned against God, the people that were created in his image for his glory, that have said, you know what, there's a better way. I want to do it my way. I want to be the one in charge. Those are the people. And not fun to say, but like, we're that people. 
And God has loved us, Jesus says, even as he has loved him. There's this grand purpose that you and I are meant to make disciples. Make disciples. Well, what does that, what does that mean? What does it mean to make a disciple? You know the place from which that, that terminology and that language comes from. It's the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. Jesus says this. Jesus came to them and said, came and said to them, rather, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Now, he's going to give some clarity and a real picture of what that means. This is what it means. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's one component. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus is saying in this moment is this is the purpose. This is how we get to experience this in the threefold way. We get to know God. We get to be transformed by Him in His Spirit. And now we get the opportunity to help others know God and be transformed as we make disciples. These two things. Number one, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What does that mean? Why do we do this thing called baptism? Why, why, why did Jesus tell us to go underwater and then come up out of the water? In this culture, Names were everything. Your name was not just your word or your bond, like we would say maybe in our culture, but your name described and identified you, not as someone who's a number or, or set apart in such a way where you were just a unique individual, but it described your identity. It described your character. It described the core of who you were. And baptism at its core is this naming ceremony in which you now take on the name of and are in relationship to God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not just like perfunctory like rituals or ceremonial stuff. This is a big deal. So he's saying this. Man, you go and you help make these people who have a relationship with me, who've trusted in me, who know me, who their whole identity is found in knowing me. The one true God. Jesus Christ, His Son, who He sent. And then this component, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. A disciple is one who is a student, who's experiencing the life of wisdom, who is being taught and instructed. Our purpose is our purpose is to help people experience and know and come into relationship with God and to teach them who they are in Christ and what it looks like to live in that way. To live in that way. I don't know that we do this that much anymore in a society in our society, but like there there are moments, at least even in my family's past, where it's just like this is what an Abram's man is, right? 
This is what he is, and this is what his life looks like. And there's this big identity that comes with a name, and then it represents, and, and it really elucidates and shows the character of, of that person, right? Like who that person is. We are meant, this is our purpose, to seek out people, help them come into relationship with Jesus as we proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. See them identify with Jesus as their life. Jesus becomes life for them. And then teach them how to live and walk and experience Jesus. I would tell you that I bet there's not a, one of you in here that doesn't want to live a life that is real, that is meaningful, that is valuable. Anybody ever wasted a day? Ever wasted a day? Yeah, Netflix exists. You've wasted a day, all right? You just kind of existed. You didn't, like, you didn't live, you know? I mean, you did, you breathed. Probably ate a lot of snacks, too. But, you, but you're breathing, right? You're existing, but you're not living. You know what it feels like when you do that over a cumulative number of days? Not that I have any experience with this, and you don't either, probably. Right? You start to recognize and see, man, that there's something more to life than the life that I'm living. I might not even be living. I might just be existing. You and I want to, we desire to, I know this, because we're created to live in pursuit, and it's something really specific, not in pursuit of the house on the hill, or the fancy car, or, or, or the retirement, or, or the beach house, or, or any of that stuff, or the relationship, or, or the status, or whatever it may be, you and I were built to pursue God. But if we're going to pursue him, if we're going to run after him, then we got to know our purpose. we got to know our purpose. And our purpose is this, that we would know God, that we would be transformed by him, and that we would make disciples. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. Now, let's talk about this really quickly. What does that look like for you? What does that look like in your life? In your life this morning, as you think about man, what you're going to walk into this afternoon, right? And then tomorrow as you wake up in a brand new day, man, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? I want you to ask this question of yourself. What is your purpose for your marriage? It's to help your spouse to know God. And to be transformed and help he or she come to a place where they're continually telling others the good news of Jesus so that disciples are being made. What is it in your family to help your children, to help your brother, to help your sister know and experience God? See them by the work of the Spirit be transformed and be a witness to that beautiful thing. And help them love others in such a way that they're proclaiming the good news of God. What about for your work? What about your time? 
You might even say, Michael, I, I, I'd love to know God. What does that look like? How do I do that? Well, Jesus says this. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. When you and I experience reading Scripture, when we experience praying to the Lord, we experience these spiritual disciplines. These are not it. They are tools. But it's in those moments where God will come and meet us and speak to us and reveal himself. And he's made known to us. So this week, the goal is to ask these questions. And this is the point that you would really, like truly, each of us in this place today, that we would ask these questions of ourselves. That we would ask these questions. Do I know my purpose? Do I understand it? Do I know my purpose? That, that, that I'm meant to know God, to be transformed by Him, and to make disciples. Am I being changed? When I look at my life, am I someone that's being transformed? And if not, if that's not the case, then what needs to change? Maybe it means I'm, I'm not seeking to know God like I want to. I say I want to do that, but I'm not actively doing it. Third and finally, am I seeing others know Jesus? Ultimately, am I walking in the process of making disciples? Here's the thing. The application this week is, is, is sincerely, truly meant to be questions. It's meant for us to think and begin to ask ourselves these things. Do I know my purpose? Am I being transformed? Am I helping others know Jesus? And next week, we're going to move into the second phase of what our definition of pursuit is. Because we said what? It's knowing our purpose... Living intentionally. So next week, I want to invite you to come. You might say, hey, look, I, Michael, I'll be honest with you. I want to know my purpose in a, in a deeper way. And I want to experience God. I want to know Him more. But I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to pray, really. I don't know how to read the Bible. And next week, we're going to talk about these things. What does it look like to build the intentional life of pursuit? Where we understand our purpose, and now we're going after it. We're really moving in such a way that God is working in and through us as we experience Him. I want to invite our worship team to come, and as we prepare to close this morning, I want to share uh, with you a quote. This is Charles Spurgeon. You might be sitting there this morning and saying, man, like, you might sit there in this room this morning, you might say, I'm 40 years old, I'm 50 years old, I'm 60 years old. I don't know that I can accomplish a purpose because I don't know that I'm where I want to be. Anybody in this room somewhere different than when they're, where they thought they would be at this age or this time in life? There's like six people in here. The rest of you are brilliant. You've had it figured out for ages. Look, I would bet every single one of us is standing, sitting Somewhere we didn't expect to be with maybe people we didn't even expect to be with. That's a good thing, by the way. We didn't know we'd be here. We might even wonder sometimes if here is the problem. What if the decisions I've made, what if I'm at this point in life where I don't know how to live the life of pursuit because maybe I'm not equipped for it, because maybe I'm not in the right place, or I'm beyond repair, or I've done too much. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon. He says, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, 
divine love would have put you there. You're exactly where God has you. You're exactly where God has divinely placed you in love to pursue Him, to know your purpose, to live intentionally, and to do so not alone, but in community together. May it be said of us, let people say anything in the world they want to about us, but please, Lord, let them say this, that we are people who sought to know God, people who are actively changing, being transformed by His Spirit, and people that loved others enough to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, so that they could know God and experience Him and be changed as well. Amen? If you will. Bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we long to live the life of pursuit where we don't merely know about you, but we truly know you. So this morning, Father, for each brother and sister that finds themselves in this place worshiping alongside us, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you would deepen their desire to know you, to experience you, to see that, that there is no life apart from you, that you are life itself. We have our very breath because of you. Father, I pray that you'll do that this morning. Father, I pray that if there are those in this place that don't know you, perhaps are even beginning to believe, Father, I pray that you would draw them into yourself and that they would experience life through you, that you would assure them and offer the hope that you give life and it only comes from you. Father, would you transform us as individuals, as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, as friends and neighbors, as co-workers. Father, wherever we find ourselves in this world, where our true identity be that we are in you and we're being changed, we're being transformed. And Father, would your goodness lead to love others in such a way that we would constantly be proclaiming who you are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who we pursue. Amen.